Okay. All right. I'm going to invite you to return to your seats. Thanks for doing that. Could I invite Kent and Laura Lindsay just to come on up on stage and invite Kevin to come up as well? Um, in case you don't know, this is Kent and Laura's last Sunday with us, at least last regular Sunday with us. They are moving down to Olds. And so that's uh, far enough that it's likely they will find a worshiping community closer to their new home. And so we just wanted to take a moment just to let you know that and acknowledge that they've been here for a really long time and, and blessed us in many ways. And we just wanted to pray for them. So I asked Kevin if he would do that. And would you just join us in prayer and blessing the Lindsays as they transition to Olds? I'm just going to offer a little tidbit that some of you may not know. Laura was my school teacher in high school. So I know I look older than her, but I'm really not. So she taught me grade 11 math for a short time. She was a sub for a while. So um, I've known, them for a, known her for a long time. Uh, but yeah, we want to bless you guys. So join, please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you for a beautiful day that we can be here to worship you, to celebrate what you are doing. And we thank you for Kent and Laura for the part that they've been of our body here, of our congregation. And as they venture out now, we pray your blessing over them. As they move into a new home, a new community, we ask that you would guide them to find a new place to fellowship and worship you. And uh, we just lift them up to you. We thank you for uh, all the memories and relationships that we've had or developed with them over the years. Uh, we bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Kent's going to come up back on stage in a few minutes, but yeah, thank you for doing that. Thank you, Kevin, and we bless you, Lindsay's, and we, we have appreciated our time with you. Let's, let's just continue in prayer here now. Lord, we invite you. Would you come by your spirit and make yourself known among us? We know you are always with us. You said you would never leave us nor forsake us. Your scriptures say, where can I go from your presence? You are everywhere. And yet then, Lord, you say that where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there among them. We are here in your name, and we claim a greater level of presence than we otherwise have as we move throughout the week by ourselves. You say that you inhabit the praises of your people, and we are here worshiping you. We claim that level of presence and activity among us because this is our act of devotion and worship to you. Come. Lord, you tell us to be filled. Having already put your spirit in us, you then fill again. Lord, fill again each one of us in this place that we as image bearers would reflect you well 
that we would fulfill the design of your creation, that your image would be filled with your spirit, that we might be the embodiment of Jesus on the earth right now, as was your design. You are the head and we are the body. Lord, make us one with you. Make us people who keep in step with the spirit. Make us people who remain focused on your heart. Your word says that we have the mind of Christ. Lord, would you grant that this morning for us, the realization of that truth, the realization of that opportunity that we may step into knowing your thoughts and thinking your thoughts after you and letting your thoughts renew our minds. Would you transform us this morning by the renewing of our minds as we lay down ourselves that we may receive more of you? You must increase. We must decrease, as John the Baptist said. Lord, this morning, as we open your word, may the page and the words on the page come alive. Like the friend here who recently said, I feel like I'm living these scriptures now. May more and more of us have more and more experiences of living your scriptures. Would you breathe that kind of life through them to us as we seek the life of Christ? May we always remember Jesus' words, that you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it is they that point to me. You stand at the door and knock. You offer us life, Lord. Lord, may we receive it this morning. Would you open our minds and illumine our minds? Would you reveal through revelation? As we open your word, may there be true revelation to us where words become more than just words because they become part of us as we seek to live in conformity with your will, as we seek more of the life of Jesus. Lord, grant us your heart your heart for your mission, your heart for your world, your heart for people. May we live the life of Christ. May today be the next step in each of our lives in living more like Christ. Would you do your work here this morning? I pray that we would be, as a result of your work, we would be like the glass of a mirror where all that is seen is the reflection and we don't notice the glass. I pray that for myself this morning, for Kent as he comes, that we would be nothing but a good piece of glass that points to the reflection. It shows the reflection well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you grab your Bibles? I'm going to read John chapter 11 and most of the scripture, most of John chapter 11. We're going to read the entire Lazarus story from beginning to end. And then we're going to do something very different. 
I'm gonna start just a few verses before chapter 11, um, chapter 10, verse 40. He, speaking of Jesus, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier and he remained there. See, Jesus had been in Jerusalem and now he's going and Jerusalem and Judea. And now he's going across the Jordan River, a couple of days journey. And that's gonna be important. Many came to him there in that place saying, John performed no sign, but everything that John said about this man, Jesus, was true. And many believed in him there. Chapter 11, one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus is, has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. That's with Jesus. That's what they're expecting. When Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them and their brother. Let's just pause for a moment. So many times people have mistakenly interpreted this to mean that Jesus was only two miles from from, uh, where this all took place. No, remember the, the context that I started with? Jesus was a couple of days journey away, all right? It was the Jews who came to mourn that came from Jerusalem to Bethany. All right, that, that's important. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said this to him. um, Sorry, she said to him, yes, Lord, 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, and they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who is high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he had prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation. And not only for the nation, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked about openly among the Jews, but went from there to a town called Ephraim in the region near the wilderness, and he remained there with his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Kent, would you come up, please? Rather than preaching a sermon from this, what I uh, decided to do was create sort of a, a mock interview between a reporter, Clark Kent. That was his joke to me this morning. I didn't put that together. And... Mild-mannered... Uh 
reporter for the Daily Planet. Yes. He, so Clark Kent is going to interview Superman, I guess. I, uh, I am going to do a very poor job of imitating Jesus. And so this is going to be an interview between a reporter and Jesus having just gone through what we have read. All right, is my best attempt to, to um, frame this from sort of a different perspective, okay? Please know, I put the finishing touches on this this morning, and Kent basically is picking this up cold, okay? So, and please also know, neither of us are actors, all right? This is, if you are judging our acting ability or focusing on that, you will have missed the point, and that'll be really sad for a whole bunch of reasons, um, but so Kent, I do thank you for being willing to just grab a mic and, and read something that is imperfect. Okay. But every, every sermon is an interpretation. Okay. So, uh, this is no different, um, than, you know, when, when we're just anything more than reading scripture is going to involve interpretation. And when you read scripture, it still involves interpretation. So anyway, this is our sort of my best attempt to frame this a different way for us. Okay. So please bear with us as it is something different. And, and Kent, thank you. I, I honestly really appreciate this. So why don't you take it away, brother? All right. Jesus, I saw a dead man walking. How'd that happen? I gave a command. Well, yeah, I heard about that, but how? Well, I, I speak what I hear from the Father, and I do what I see the Father doing. So something inside of me just recognized that he was inviting me to partner with him. Right. I don't get that. Break down, breaks down some steps for us. Hmm. Okay. Well, how far back should we go? Since I emptied myself and left my rightful place and became human while still being divine, I have had to rely on the same things that you rely on. That is the scriptures and the spirit to lead and guide me. I learned and I grew the same way that you do. I grew in wisdom and in stature, Luke says, right? Really? I always thought you had an advantage. Well, not according to the scriptures. The scriptures say that he set aside everything that was to his advantage and became human. But that would mean I could have raised Lazarus. Yes. That is the point, my friend. I'm having a hard time processing that. I, I'm nowhere close. Can you walk me through how again? Sure. Did your children ever play baseball? Yes. Okay. Did they start off in T-ball or in the major leagues? How did they progress? Ah, you're saying we can grow in these things? Yes, I already said that. You, you can do it just like I did. We both have the opportunity to grow in this. In fact, you have an advantage I didn't have. Really? What? Me. Oh. You, you have my words. You have my example, and you have my invitation to join me in this. I want to play at that level, but how would I start? Well, that depends on the person. Some need to start taking me at my word, even though they haven't seen someone raised from the dead yet. Some need to just start by asking good questions, humbly. 
and looking for the possibilities that I am inviting them into. Others need to start with finding some people who are going to journey with them in this and start practicing. Okay? Just like my apprentices, my disciples are my apprentices. Right? They're not just students taking notes, they're learning and then they're taking turns doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So one more thing I should add, learning how God communicates is crucial. We all need to learn to hear him more. We must be led by the spirit and the scriptures together. Praying without ceasing means keeping the communication lines open at all times. And that's what I do with my father. So, for example, as we're talking about Lazarus, I had to check in with the father and say, Father, what do you, what do you say about this illness that Lazarus has? And what he did was let me know that this sickness would ultimately glorify the father. Okay, uh, can I ask a clarifying question? Of course. Are you saying some sicknesses glorify God and others don't? No, I didn't say that any sickness glorifies God. We, we don't exalt things that are wrong with creation. That, that's a result of the fall, right? It's not the breaking of the good creation that glorifies God. That was the enemy's work. It's the redeeming of creation that glorifies God. All I said was that the sickness would lead to God's glory. Okay, my bad. I guess what I'm asking is, do all sicknesses lead to God's glory? That's a good question. Let me respond with a question. What led to God's glory today? Lazarus being raised. Does that answer your question? Hmm. But if God is glorified by redeeming sickness and he wants to glorify himself, does that make him the cause, especially if God is sovereign? And since you didn't heal everyone and you made everyone mortal, should any of us go meddling in this? Those are really good and perceptive questions, Kent. I thought it was Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful about assigning cause to God. As you see in the creation story, he often permits what he does not prefer. Mm, Okay. So for now, what do my actions show about my heart for creation? What do my actions with Lazarus show about revealing the Father's will for people's lives? Does a broken pot or a restored pot glorify the craftsman more? How much more when we're talking about my image bearers? Healing is restoring my my image in my image bearers. Okay. Sickness doesn't glorify me any more than sin does. These things soil my good creation, and I came to undo that. The scriptures say the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. Mm. Let let me finish the topic of healing for now so that we can get back to the topic about how I was led to raise Lazarus. Just a few days ago, I healed a man born blind. And my apprentices asked me who was to blame, the blind man or his parents. They were operating within a paradigm that was too simplistic. They were applying just a few rules to get an either-or answer for every situation. 
Sin is not the only cause of sickness. But regardless, my focus wasn't on the cause, but on how God wanted to work. And I, I said to him at them at that time, we must do the works of him who sent me. Okay, but you didn't heal every single person you saw or raise every person who died. So how do you know that this was one you should heal or Lazarus was one you should raise? That's a great question. As I said, I spoke to the father about it. Cool. You mean before creation, when you looked ahead to Lazarus's life? No, no, I don't mean that I heard about this before creation, because remember, I emptied myself of that advantage, uh, right? Okay. So I learned and was led. The father and I talk about these things as they come up. That's what happened with Lazarus. Oh, right. Sorry, it's taking me time to change my thinking about that. So the messenger told you Lazarus was sick and you asked the father what was next? Yes. Remember, as I've said before, I do nothing on my own. I only speak what the father tells me to speak and I only do what the father tells me to do. So what he did was assure me of how things would work out. So I stayed and continued ministering, was I where I was across the Jordan for a couple more days. And I trusted that he would lead me in a way that would glorify him, just like he said would happen. Hmm. Then you stayed two days longer, and then you decided it was time to go to Lazarus? Yes and no. It, it, was, it wasn't my decision. I would have liked to have gone to Mary and Martha and Lazarus right away and spared them all of that grief and all of that pain. But I find more peace in keeping in step with the Spirit than in doing what I prefer. See, where he goes, I go, and it's better that way. But Jesus, more people suffered because of this. Surely that's not better. Hmm. Are you able to see every detail? Are you able to see every angle and every situation and every outcome? Can you properly weigh the cost and the benefit between God's actions and human suffering? Do you know when the balance tips on the scale between the weight of human suffering and the glory of God? See, Job thought he did, and God corrected him for it. And even then, the Lord never told him why it happened. But I do understand your perspective. See, it's not new to me. I just experienced it again in these past few days as my dear friends suffered, and I suffered knowing they were suffering. I suffered with them, even though I wasn't there yet. Do you not think that it pained me to know that my friend was dying and his sisters were anxiously waiting for me, hoping I would come in time? See, the scriptures say that I learned obedience by what I suffered. Hebrews says that. Didn't you just see how I wept a few moments ago? See, the, the cross isn't the only place that I suffer. The pain that people go through produces a grief and a suffering in me. And out of obedience to the Father, I have suffered as they have suffered to do what he wanted 
And out of obedience to the Father, I have healed them. In both cases, I have submitted to the leading of the Spirit, laying aside my will and being willing to suffer. See, obedience to the Spirit is both a willingness to suffer with others and a call to bring healing and life to people who suffer. So if I've heard you correctly, then, you're saying that you continued to minister where you were because the Spirit hadn't moved you, even when you knew there was a need? That's right. I stayed where I was. I have learned to distinguish what the Lord wants from what I want. Huh? Don't you always want what the Lord wants? Yes. And no, and yes. Let me explain that. I want what he wants, and I want what I want, and I want what he wants in spite of what I want. Do you follow that? What else can it mean when the scriptures say, I prayed, not my will, but yours be done? Okay. Learning to separate what I want from what God wants, learning his leading involves submission, laying aside what I want so that I can recognize and follow what he wants. Again, how can I do that? Uh, how do I do it? I get all sorts of impulses, sinful or selfish ones, are easier to recognize, but in the case of Lazarus, surely that was a good impulse that would have led you to go help him right away. An urge to show compassion and a heart of healing. How did you learn to distinguish God's leading from the good impulses that also reflect God's heart of love and compassion? That's a great question. Discernment is key, and discernment comes from having made it my life's mission to only want what he wants in every single situation, to want it more than anything else. Wow. That sounds like you were a Hall of Fame player from birth. But you said you grew in this, so break it down for me. That's a good question, and there are lots of different answers. I'll just give you a few. The, the scriptures say, I grew in wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? The fear of the Lord. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. I made that my life's work. I also practiced regular self-denial. We call that fasting. I also searched the scriptures for the heart of God, because if you know where the heart of God is, you will, you will automatically look for his leading in that direction. And the more you know how he's worked in the past through the scriptures, the more you can expect how he's going to work in the present because he hasn't changed. He does the same thing yesterday, today, and forever because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I counted the cost. And that's really important. See, you're seeing how people respond when God's power is present. God's presence and power always reveal hearts. And you see that with what happened with Lazarus. 
The results are always divisive because human hearts are divided down the middle. The leaders wanted to kill Lazarus. The disciples wanted to follow me and do that stuff. The crowd believed there was division. Mixed results occur, and I had to count the cost and be willing to go where the Spirit was leading in spite of how people would react. You should expect the same results. So this life of submission of following the Holy Spirit came to the point that you were led to Bethany after Lazarus had been dead for four days. And at that point, God raised him from the dead or raised, or you raised him from the dead or the spirit did? Yes. <laughs> the three of us were all involved. Remember I said, just as the father has life in, self, in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and to give it to others. Right. Remember the scriptures say that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as a result of that, I went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with me. It was a Trinitarian moment. No wonder it was a moment of glory. Could you reflect on that glory? I'll just say a couple of things. It was the greatest demonstration of the life the Father offers to raise Lazarus from the dead. The life that I have constantly been speaking about through my ministry and inviting people into. I called it abundant life and I demonstrated it. Abundant life comes from God and abundant life is what glorifies God. And it was our greatest victory over the devil to this point. There's a greater one coming. But in my ministry, this was the greatest possible one. First John says, the son of man came to destroy the works of the devil. And then it goes on to say he was a murderer from the beginning. The father and I and the Holy Spirit undid that today. And Lazarus, here again, is the result. And that is the life I have invited everyone else into, a life of following me and doing what I did. I've invited you to join it. Well, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Kent. I mean, Ben. <laughs> Please thank Kent. <laughs> Let's take just a couple of minutes and go from an interview to a press conference. Are there others who want to respond and interact? Does it raise a question for you? Do you want something clarified? Where are you at now? Nothing's burning out there for you. We, we just wrapped that thing up and put a bow on it. No? Did Jesus live showing us how we can, what was the last part? Live with the Father. Great question. Yes. 
Jesus is our example in every way. Absolutely. That he has invited you into the relationship that he had with the Father. That, that's why when the, um, Jesus dies on the cross, the veil is torn so that there's no longer a separation between ourselves and the Father. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for that question. Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you, Joel. So what Joel has been saying is that his reflection on this, um, as we've been walking through John, it's come out in John a number of times, it came out again this morning, is that surrender is the start. And you're absolutely right. Surrender is the start of life in the spirit. We have, you're not gonna get the full and abundant life by clinging to what you want. That is why the, the Christian life really begins with baptism. It's not inviting Jesus into your heart. Scripturally, scripturally speaking, following Jesus starts with baptism. And baptism, it, baptism is dying to our, our life entirely and being raised entirely into the life of Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. And that is why Jesus will then frame it differently for his disciples by saying, take up your cross daily, take up the very thing that kills you daily, because we must daily die to ourselves. If we want more freedom and life in Christ, if we want to see the power of the Spirit working through us, we have to get out of the way. So thank you for raising that. That's, that's an excellent point, Joel. Renee, yeah. That is a, a brilliant observation and a, a wonderful question. And I will, I will be completely inadequate in my response. Renee's, Renee's question is, following up on that thought, Ben, to, to properly surrender in the way that you are asking and the way that we think that scripture requires of us means that I first trust the one to whom I am completely surrendering. And Jesus was able to surrender most fully because he had such an intimate relationship with the Father. So how do you surrender without that intimacy, without that trust component? I'd throw it back. When I can't come up with an answer, I throw it back out to the crowd. Um, what do you think? You've walked with Jesus a long time. I'm not the only one here. I'm not going to be able to summarize the conversation that's just happened between the two, two of you guys. Ken, Ken talked about the scriptures, uh, that we go back to the scriptures to find the heart of God. And it's in the scriptures that we see most clearly God can, in fact, be trusted. And, and Renee mentioned that perfect love drives out fear. Um, so it, it is by recognizing that we are loved that, that we, we can entrust ourselves to the one who loves us. How are you going to, you're not gonna come up with a sort of uh, a, a, a storehouse of trust before entering into relationship. Trust is the byproduct of entering into that relationship. I don't know exactly how that gets produced. 
right? It's like, how do you fall in love with someone? Well, you better meet. And you, you know, how is, is it a different question, really? Not, I don't think so. It's not a different question from asking, how do you fall in love with someone? How do you learn to trust someone? You have to spend time with them, right? You have to take them at their word, right? And it, and it does involve um, being healed and being freed from, the, from the, the wounds and the lies that have reinforced fear in our lives, which then cause us to keep God at a distance. And we end up saying, I want more of you, God, but only to this point, right? How many times have we used this analogy, right? <laughs> why we have healing ministry, right? Thanks, guys. Les? I'm not going to be able to paraphrase you very well. And I think what I'm, what I'm taking from what you said is that it, it very much reflects part of what we just talked about, which is that this is not an intellectual exercise. This is, this is a relationship with a person and relationships with people always involve emotion. And that that should not be discounted as though that is secondary. It is part of the very heart of God that he moves in such a way as a result of his deep compassion for people, which we saw in the passage, right? He, it, it says a couple of different times that he was disturbed in his spirit, in addition to also saying that he wept there. And that you will see this come out a number of times in the scriptures where before Jesus goes to heal someone, it is because he has been moved with compassion. And the, it, it's a gut level thing. Now, the Jesus's gut level thing does happen to perfectly correspond with his intellectual thing because he knows the heart of God, but it, but it, it, it is um, there is a coherence and a unity to his person that it is not simply a a, a one sided thing as though Jesus just thought his way towards solutions, just like you didn't think your way towards your relationship with your spouse, right? Did I, to some degree, overlap with what you were saying there, Les? I'm just saying, without, um, it's, it's not that it's mm-hmm. Yeah. With, Les just said, I, I just want to remind you that without the balance, it's just words. If you don't... If, I feel like I've really beat that horse in the last couple of years, uh, as we have said over and over again, um, that this is not an intellectual thing. It's not less than an intellectual thing, but following Jesus is not about simply putting intellectual puzzle pieces together or stacking up more books on a shelf. We, we are invited into the very heart of God. It, it's the relationship thing. Marco? Your, your question, am I hearing your question correctly that you're, you're saying Caiaphas prophesied correctly that Jesus would die 
And Jesus, similarly, before he even took this road of saying, I'm, I'm going to go to Bethany and raise Lazarus, Jesus knew that that would ultimately seal his fate. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're asking? Well, even the disciples knew, right? Because they warned him ahead of time saying, what are you doing going back there? Because the last time they tried to stone you, you see, this is not the first time that they have plotted Jesus's death, even in John. Um, so yeah, Jesus, along with the disciples and everyone else is seeing that this, this is only headed one direction. And Caiaphas sees that as well. And, and he prophesies correctly. No. Good observation. Thanks, Marco. Let's, let's pause there because we've gone over time. Let's, let's return to worship. Um, as the band comes up, let me just offer a prayer to close. Lord, we enter into deep waters when we enter into your scriptures because they reveal your heart and you have a big heart a big mind and a big heart and a big plan. Lord, would you help us distill down today the parts that you want each of us to hold on to, that we may enter into the abundant life and the abundant life of discipleship, of apprenticeship to following Jesus in the works that he did of taking him at his word that you will do the same things that I do and greater because I go to the Father. But Lord, we, we dare not enter into any life like that apart from a deep healing and emotional union with you. where the presence of God and the face of God are more important to us than the works of God. May we do the works out of the abiding of your presence. You say that apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide with me. May we become people who enter into that level of union between vine and branch that there may be much fruit. May there be fruit in our one-on-one relationship with you at every level, intellectual to emotional. May there be fruit with you in our relationships with others as they begin to see more of your life coming out. May there be fruit for a world so that there are more Lazaruses because you were glorified through this. Lord, would you glorify yourself through your church stepping into what Jesus told us to do? Always and only for your name out of love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Go in peace, my friends. If anyone would like prayer, happy to pray for people. I do think I heard the Lord say uh, someone with an ankle problem. So if you have an ankle problem, be happy to pray for you too, but blessings on your week. Thanks for being here.